0: This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Do you know what it's like to be emotionally agile? Well, some definition would be it's making sure that you don't let those professional bumps in the road deter you from future success. We are having problems to deal with pretty much each and every day, but it's the people that know how to best handle them that may actually be getting a leg up. Susan David has studied emotions and happiness over the last 20 years or so, and she brings these ideas together in her book, Emotional Agility, and Susan joins us on the show right now. Welcome, Susan. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Uh, Did I describe emotional agility properly?
1: You just it beautifully. Effectively, it's the ability to be able to be with your thoughts, your emotions, and your stories. And we all, of course, have thousands of these every day in a way that enables us not to be derailed by them, but rather bring ourselves intentionally and with purpose towards what we value in our lives.
0: And seemingly, this is something that probably happens to most people, I would think, on an almost daily basis, or at least on a weekly basis.
1: Absolutely, and it's not simply in, you know, getting derailed in anger, for example, but we all have ways that we want to live, ways that we want to parent, how we want to be in our relationships and how we want to be at work. And yet so often we allow ourselves, by effectively not being in an effective relationship with our thoughts and emotions and stories, Mm -hmm. to get derailed,
0: So this book, based on uh, the research that you've done over the last couple of decades and probably certain examples you've seen firsthand—
1: Absolutely. I am a psychologist by training, a clinical psychologist, and I'm on faculty at Harvard Medical School and also a co-founder of the Institute of Coaching at McLean Hospital. So a lot of my work is both drawn from my research in emotions, mm-hmm. but also the work that I do with clients and with organizations.
0: We're joined by uh, Susan David, who's the author of the book Emotional Agility. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866 is the number. So you do kind of uh, have a a little bit of a a list of kind of key ingredients uh, for people to think about uh, in in trying to kind of reach that level uh, of emotional agility. What are they?
1: I mean, firstly, emotional agility is the ability to be with yourself in a way that is courageous and curious and compassionate. And this involves a number of uh, strategies. It involves a number of core competencies. One of them is being able to not struggle with your thoughts and emotions. And the reason that I say this is because so often people will have an experience where they feel undermined at work or they're not liking their job or something happens in their world. And often, instead of being able to move forward around that situation, we almost jostle and engage in an internal struggle about whether we should or shouldn't feel or think a particular thing. Um, I, I shouldn't be unhappy because at least I've got a job. Right. Or we try to rationalize our thoughts and emotions away and we know that this is not an effective way of actually facing into what is going on in our lives.
0: One of the things you bring up is, and I think it's important for people to realize and understand that, that they're important all the time, are the values that, that a lot of people rely on, those things that, that are kind of core to them, and how important they are to this kind of process.
1: Absolutely. Um, you know, one of the first things that I talk about is how people who often, you know, try put on a brave face and how this whole happiness movement often counters our ability to look beyond our emotions and our difficulties to actually discern signposts of what it is that we care about. So often the things that we are upset about or angry about contain information of what's of value. I'm unhappy about my idea being stolen because underneath that I really care about issues of equity and justice, for example. So people will often push these Emotions and with them, the learning aside. And really having a sense, a clear sense of what it is that is important to us is absolutely critical. Um, values are often seen as being cheesy, you know, the kind of things that we have on walls in organizations but don't really believe in or do anything with. <laughs> right. And yet, what's fascinating is the amazing, amazing work showing that. When people have values front of mind, Mm -hmm. it is protective in things like uh, transitions, like if you're going through a difficult period at work, or you're a first-generation college-goer, or you're having a struggle in a relationship. Knowing how you want to be in the world Mm -hmm. protects us from social contagion. Um, It protects us from a lot of the kind of mindless comparison that we often do. And it's really a fundamental part of our ability to be well and happy and productive people. How
0: much, and obviously a lot of this negativity that people end up dealing with, uh, I think a lot of people have talked about how important it is to, to learn from it. And, and in some respects, use it to, to benefit yourself so that, you know, it, it's like the old line, you know, never make the same mistake twice.
1: Absolutely. We, you know, we live in a world where every single newspaper we open tells us that we need to be happy. And so what can that can do? And a a friend of mine recently died of uh, stage four breast cancer and she described this as the tyranny of positivity. This idea that simply by thinking herself out of her cancer that she would somehow, you know, be well. And she said to me, you know, if it was just a case of being positive, all of the people in my breast cancer support group would be alive today. And the messaging to simply be positive makes me feel culpable for my own death almost. Um, But absolutely, you know, we live in this society that basically almost makes us second-guess ourselves when things go wrong. And so the natural consequence then is that we want to push these things aside. Um, Number one, psychological research tells us that the very thought that we try not to think about will often have a boomerang effect. So we'll think about that exact thought, something like 30 or 40 seconds or times a minute. Um, You know, you you try not to think about chocolate cake because you're on a diet and you dream about it. So number one, trying not to think about or navigate difficult situations uh, doesn't work. And secondly, it doesn't actually allow us to mine the learning and, make constructive change to our lives.
0: You also uh, talk about uh, the the idea about emotions uh, are something that that tell you a lot about yourself. They kind of communicate uh, the type of person you are. How important is that in this process?
1: It's, it's critical. Um, Charles Darwin wrote a lesser-known book called The Expression of Emotion in Man and Animals. And in this, he really talks to the idea that emotions help us not only to communicate with other people, but also to ourselves. Mm-hmm. And this is a critical aspect of my work and of the book itself of emotional agility this idea that we can learn underneath our emotions if we feel a sense of guilt if we feel a sense of anger there's often something that is instructive to us now the very clear distinction here is that our emotions are data not directions so we can learn from them but we don't need to obey them or be dominated by them and so in the book, I talk about this idea of showing up, but I also describe the critical skills that I call stepping out, the ability to be able to feel a feeling or think a thought and be able to almost helicopter above it, right. uh, that that experience that we've all had when we're really angry with someone, we're frothing at the mouth with a customer service agent who's got our bill wrong once again, and that ability to both feel an emotion but to almost helicopter above it, this is a critical skill set for us uh, and our children. It helps us to be healthy and well and to not ignore emotions but to also be able to be able to, in Viktor Frankl's terms, between stimulus and response, there is a space, and in that space is our power to choose, and it's in that choice that comes our growth and freedom.
0: And, and you and so I, this I,
1: idea, yeah.
0: I was going to say, and this is important for 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 kids as well.
1: It's critical. It's critical that ability to be able to step out of our emotions. It's a critical skill set. If we look at, for example, that by 2030 depression is targeted to be the single cause of disability globally, Hmm. outstripping cancer, outstripping heart disease, and the increase in psychological illness in children is just frightening. Children really need to develop the skill set to be able to, especially in a changing world, to navigate their emotions effectively and to learn that their emotions are not bigger than them, that they have strategies and skills. And I spend a whole chapter in emotional agility describing the skill set in very practical terms that children need.
0: We're joined by Susan David. The book is Emotional Agility. Your comments are welcome at 844 Wharton 844 844-942-7866. Is there a, I would think there would be, a difference in terms of generationally how uh, millennials will act today compared to the baby boomer generation did 20 to 30, 40 years ago?
1: There there are particular strategies that people use by default. So in the book, I talk about bottling emotions, which is just pushing them aside, and brooding on emotions, which is dwelling on them. And I think that for those, the research doesn't seem to indicate that there are generational differences. But some of the generational differences that do come in are when we grow up in a world that tells us that we can fix everything, and there's an app for everything often what can start happening is we can start learning or being messaged that if we don't like our emotions, we can simply just fix them. Um And, you know, some things can't be fixed. Some things need to be carried, and they need to be carried effectively because, of course... Life's fragility is inseparable from its beauty and its beauty inseparable from its fragility. And so the, the millennials, you know, there's really, um, a focus here on helping people to not just try to kind of Fix stuff in a very gloss over way, but helping people to label and understand, and also discern a sense of um, you know what is important to them is, is really critical. I think for millennials, especially growing up in a world of unprecedented change that is unabated.
0: Then, what about the differences between men and women?
1: So, absolutely, there are there are differences that are uh, really interesting differences again, you know, it doesn't mean that everyone fits into these categories, but we certainly know that men tend to do more of what we call uh, bottling emotions. So this is the idea of like just pushing it aside. I've got a project to do, so I'm just going to get on with it. And I'm going to ignore the upset in myself or in my team or my disaffection or dissatisfaction. So uh, men tend to do more of this bottling Women tend to do more of what I call uh, brooding or co-brooding. Brooding Brooding is where you analyze and think about and dwell on why is it that I'm feeling what I'm feeling. Co-brooding is when you do that with someone else. You go out to lunch with your best friend and you have a big fat moan. Now, what's fascinating is that the tendency to do this brooding or bottling. They look so different. The one is ignoring emotions. The one is dwelling on emotions. And yet both of these are actually really interestingly associated with lower levels of ability to deal with stress, uh, to be productive, and to solve problems.
0: Susan David joins us. Uh, The book is Emotional Agility. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. how then do people get around the bad mood, the occasional bad mood that they have?
1: So firstly, uh, an important thing is to recognize that sometimes the n- difficulties and negative emotions that we experience actually truly help us. Okay. Uh, you, we know from, we, we know from research in this area that what we, you know, when we're in a more positive mood, it t- tends to help us to do particular kinds of thinking, creative, big issue, uh, problem-solving, and so on. But our more negative moods help us to analyze, contingency plan, edit. So, for example, for someone uh, giving a pitch to a client, the idea of how a positive mood might actually help that person to be creative in terms of how to connect and be relational and and effective with a client is really important. But the negative mood can actually help us to contingency plan, to think about what might go wrong with the project and so on. So the first aspect of this is to really... Be able to be with our thoughts and emotions instead of struggling with them. And then in the book, I also talk about how you develop strategies that help you to, again, rise above those emotions, step out of them. So, for example, someone who's feeling stressed, very often a person who's stressed will say, I'm stressed. And then the next day, how was your day? I'm stressed. Now, what's fascinating is there's a difference between stressed versus angry or stressed versus upset or stressed versus disappointment. And we know that people who are able to be more granular, who are able to label that stress accurately for what it is, that it actually um, alters the readiness potential that is uh you know from a from a neurological perspective it actually helps us to develop strategies and problem solving so just this idea of being able to label an emotion for what it is is incredibly transformative and powerful
0: the number to join in the conversation 844 Wharton 844 942 7866 Dallas Texas we go joe is on the phone joe welcome
1: thanks uh You know, a really interesting conversation. I appreciate you guys uh, having this today. My question was more so uh, when you were talking about how depression is going to be, uh, have such an increase here in the coming years. And I wondered uh, how that was connected to the fact that that, uh, technology with Facebook and and Instagram and those types of things, um, has that been the main reason that kids are going to be, uh, are we going to see that around in our kids? Because they are not able to connect uh, with people on the social aspect, like we used to, person to person, and now it's more so technology based. Excellent question. So there are very complex reasons as to why we're seeing these statistical changes. Some some of it is about identification, but there are other reasons that effectively indicate that when we live in a society in which there is so much change, in which there is so much technology and where there's a huge amount of ambiguity, that it's almost like our brains haven't actually evolved effectively to often tolerate uh, and deal with the speed of these changes in, in the way that we need to. Um, but there are other aspects of this as well. You know, there's this huge conversation that goes on about helicopter parenting. Um, and helicopter parenting often sounds like it's a thing that we do on purpose. But, you know, most parents want to help their children to feel better when a child comes home from school and feels rejected, most of us, not with the intent of helicoptering, but with the intent of comforting and being warm, will run to our kids and say, "You know, it'll be okay. Um, you know, how can how can I help you? Let's go bake cupcakes together." You know, obviously depending on the age, and what we do in that context, even though we do it with Excellent intentions. And, you know, I'm no paragon of virtue when it comes to this. Um, is we often take away our children's ability to actually sit with our emotions, to recognize that emotions pass, um, to be able to label emotions and to be able to develop strategies around emotions. So, in some, I think the answer is fairly complex, but certainly, um, you know, we know that when one is on a phone all the time, one is often not developing real connections. And social support is a critical buffer in stress in people's lives. So I think that there are complex and interconnected reasons here that are really important.
0: Joe, thanks very much for the for the comment and the question. Uh, 844-942-7866 is the number to give a call. One, one of the other things you talk uh, about uh, is people, you know, when, when they're in a job, they... It, it, they sometimes are thinking forward in terms of their career. A lot of times they don't. They're kind of retrospective in that. And, and you talk about how th- that people need to continue to think forward about their careers.
1: Absolutely. So in emotional agility, I describe the idea that we all develop narratives. Um, some of these narratives were written on a mental chalkboard in grade three, and some were written in our first job. And these narratives are helpful. You know, they help us to make sense of our world. And so they serve, from a psychological perspective, a critical purpose. But what starts to happen is we start to get into what I describe in the book. It's called a premature cognitive commitment. This idea that we prematurely decide that there's a particular job that we really would love to go for, but we aren't cut out for it. Or a project that we don't put our hand up for because of some internal narrative and reasoning. And so in Emotional Agility, I describe this critical need to um, yeah, recognize your story and recognize your narrative, but don't let it own you, we can actively choose to re-navigate that narrative because we're more Mm -hmm. than just one story. We've got many stories, but sometimes what happens is one story starts to take center stage in our relationships at work or in what we put our hand up for in ways that really don't serve us or our values or who we want to be in the workforce.
0: Uh, for people that would like to find the book, uh, the, the website that you've built out for it?
1: it's um, So let me say one thing that is available yep. on the website, which is really helpful, okay. is a free quiz, which takes oh, okay. something like five minutes to complete. And people can get a free, it's a 10-page PDF around emotional agility specifically um, and their personal answers. And that is at www dot susan david s u s a n d a v i d dot com forward slash learn. So my website is susan david and then for the quiz, susan david forward slash learn. L e a r n.
0: Thank you, Susan, for coming on today. Greatly appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of your day.
1: Thank you so much. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you. And uh, the book is out and available in bookstores and online as well. Susan David, our guest, uh, to wrap up the show here today. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit
1: knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.